<clears throat> and now for the weather. It looks like we have a strong front of language that may not be suitable for all audiences and situations that may be uncomfortable, so that listener's discretion is advised on Monday. On Tuesday, it looks like a shower of spoilers for After the Rain, as well as any other all-anime series, so please grab your umbrella to prepare for this before coming into today's episode. And on Wednesday, it looks like clear skies that signal that the opinions uh, expected in this podcast are that of the individuals and do not reflect up talk as a whole. What, the show's called After the Rain? You think I was going to come up with something else? Nah, man. I took the easy way out. What's that sound? Sounds like a bunch of... Oh. Oh, it's raining men. Hallelujah. It is raining men. Back to you, Jet. Hello and welcome to Dub Talk, where a group of friends come together to talk about English dubs for anime, both old and new. I'm Jet, and tonight I'm joined by Megan. Okay, so we got the samurai, and we got the other guy's testimony, but what does the old shrine maiden have to say about what happened under the shelter? And Roots of Justice. Oh shit, I had something, but now I don't remember it. <laughs> and uh, we're here today to talk about one of the latest prisoners to be freed from Amazon Prime jail and put safely into the custody of Sentai Filmworks. Hooray! Uh, escape, from <laughs> Bezos, escape from Bezos Island! <laughs> uh, it's a little show called After the Rain. Uh, now, uh, if you haven't seen After the Rain, uh, which is a pretty good bet since, again, this show was trapped behind Amazon Prime until, like, a couple of months ago, uh, I've actually got two descriptions in front of me, and I kind of want you to pick which one should I go for. Should I go for the manga description or the description on the back of Sentai's release? Ooh, hmm. good question. I vote Sentai. Yeah, I second. Uh, well, uh, okay. Uh, Akihira Tachibana's life has taken a wrong turn. Sidelined from her high school track team by an injury, she's found herself increasingly distant from her friends and unsure of what to do with her life. That's not, that's not her biggest worry, though. The real problem is that she's found someone she's interested in, someone that makes her feel like she's never felt before. Even though she knows that by society's standards, it's completely wrong. Because the person at the center of the emotional storm overwhelming her is nearly three times her age, and a manager of the restaurant where she's just begun to work. So what now? Does this runner take the next step and tell him how she feels? Or will she stumble, turn, and flee for the one thing she truly wants? In After the Rain. And boy, is that a terrible description of this show! Yeah, that kind <laughs> of implies a story that didn't end up happening for arguably better. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and uh, yes, this show is actually nowhere near as spicy as that premise implies. 
just, just, in a world, in a, in a medium, okay, listen here, we've all been anime fans for a little while. Thank God this didn't pull a Koikaze. Yeah. Or a card captor Sakura. I'm just if glad you... it didn't pull a bunny drop. Or uh, for yeah. my daughter, if it was for my daughter, I'd fight the demon lord. Ah, uh, so many evils in this house. Or just, just, yeah. Momsakai. Wait, did Momsakai actually go that route? I thought it actually would. No, it didn't go that route, but it. It took it, every skeezy back road it could. Ah, so it drove through Central Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, but seriously, this show is actually not as melodramatic as its premise would imply. It's actually pretty low-key, and it's, like, really, really careful where it goes along with the whole thing. Uh, I mean, uh, we'll get into some specifics on, like, how exactly it does that later, but I guess for now we can, uh, we can dive in. Let's do it. Um, uh, cool. Um, so as always, we have our ADR voice director and our adaptive scriptwriter. And, uh, for this show, our AD, for our ADR director, we have one John Swayze. And for the scriptwriter, we have Miss Marta Bechtel. Uh, John Swayze has done voice direction for dubs on shows such as Review Starlight, Air Gear, Domestic Girlfriend, and Ushio and Tora, just to name a few. Uh, as for Martin Bechtel, he's had a lot of scripts for Sentai over the years, and has worked on shows such as Anonymous Noise, Devil's Line, Flying Witch, and basically every season of Food Wars that's been dubbed so far. I am so sorry for when you have to touch the fifth plate, Marta. Uh, oh. I am so sorry. Uh, now you may be sad. Uh, so, Listen, uh, it wasn't my fault that the dude who wrote it decided to nuke that thing from load space orbit. Ugh. Alright, uh, so uh, getting back on Dama for a second. Uh, Megan, would you like to start us off? Uh, yeah, no, I'll give my thoughts. So, going into this, I was a little bit worried because I do not like a lot of uh, older, younger relationship stuff. Um, granted, I, I do own stuff like Hitorijime, My Hero, which I I keep meaning to get around to watching, but I know that, that parts of that will make me uncomfortable. Um, there's a reason, like, I didn't do the um, Valentine's episode this year, not only because one, domestic girlfriend is awful, but two, just the whole idea of stepbrothers plus one of them being a teacher, like, really fucked with me. Um, so I would like to compliment the show in general and the series after the rain for never going that route and being an oddly chump- an oddly comfy and charming little show. Uh, and I think that this is one of my favorite dubs that Sentai's done in a while. I think the casting on this is fantastic. I think the writing on this is great. There's only one character I see as a detriment. And there's maybe one or two, like- couple of walla folks that are a little obnoxious but to me the core of this cast is fantastic and it really made this such an easy watch show i think that the script writing is naturalistic i think that the performances don't come off as stilted or flat i think they come off as very warm and engaging even for characters who are set up not to be warm and engaging and by the end of it 
I don't know if you're necessarily rooting for these characters to to get together as much as you are rooting for them to please do not jump the shark. Like, please don't do the creepy thing where they fall in love in the end. Um, there's maybe a couple pronunciation things I, that kind of bothered me. Uh, mostly because I've heard other names pronounced other ways in different anime. Um, like, Octagawa is a name that I, I hear a lot because, hello, it is... Tis I, Dub Talk's number one Boon Go Stray Dogs fangirl, who, <laughs> who, who is in love or who loves Rienosuke Octagawa in that show as her, her awful son who has done bad things, but it's okay, mommy's gonna get you a, a sippy sip, and you're gonna go over and hang out with your boyfriend, Atsushi. Um, it's okay, Octagawa, you did some bad things, but mommy loves you. Um... Damn it! <laughs> but like, I, I, I'm has also the sippy. He can has the sippy. If if you don't murder anybody for a week, Octagawa, I will give you one sippy cup. I'll give you one <laughs> juicy box. Um, but I I think that this is. I really want to give John and Martha Marta a lot of credit, especially John. I think that the casting of this show is impeccable. I absolutely loved every of the main characters, which I guess in a sense would just be uh, Akira and Kondo and maybe uh, Haruka um, are like kind of the three central characters to me of this, but it's mostly Kondo and Akira. And I think that they were cast phenomenally on are just some of the best stuff that I've listened to this year. So overall, a really great effort. Uh, cool. Uh, roots? Yeah. I, I largely have to agree with Megan. The casting was incredibly solid here. Um, again, I'm I'm pretty sure that I know which character Megan had a little bit of problems with. Um, I thought it was appropriate in the sense that, you know, uh, a listening audience here in the U.S. would kind of get it. But I'll, I'll get to that when we get to the character in question. Um... One thing I really have to give a ton of praise to this show for is the script writing for the dialogue. It felt like these characters were actually having conversations with one another. Like, it... The dialogue flowed really well. Um, like, tone of voice was really appropriate for everybody who was speaking. And... Particularly, I, I felt this with a couple of Wallerids, but it actually kind of felt like you were sitting in a high school classroom. Um, a lot of the casting for the high school age characters, uh, it felt age appropriate. And yeah, John Swayze is a very skilled director with... Um, some shows that were talked about on this show and others that maybe hopefully we'll be able to do at some point in the future. Uh, yeah, I, I thought this was a really solid package deal. Yeah, nice. Uh, as for me, um, I haven't seen like a ton of John Swayze's work as a director, but I generally like what I've heard from him. And even if his stuff doesn't always wow me necessarily, it's usually almost always solid. Uh, but that said, I think he really knocked this one out of the park. 
Uh, like Prince of Megaverse saying, everyone here is really well cast, and I like how well he utilized a lot of Houston veterans, uh, while also bringing in a couple of big out-of-towners, and they all come together to make a pretty strong ensemble. All the actors here managed to give off very grounded performances, uh, which works really well for a really low-key drama like this. And while there aren't a, while there aren't a lot of very dramatic scenes in this show, everyone manages to nail all the little character moments that are kind of sprinkled throughout. And I think that John's direction really just helps to make all the characters sound like real people, and it just kind of adds to the experience. And I also really like Marta Bechtel's script. Uh, she's been at this for a long time, but she's worked on a variety of shows, so she obviously has a pretty clear head on what she's doing. And as far as this show goes, she does a good job of sticking to the material while also just making a lot of the dialogue come off as very casual and natural, which is a good match for this kind of show. And while a lot of the adaptive script... Uh, yeah. While a lot of the adaptive writing here is very quiet and dramatic, and there's a couple of good bits of casual comedy here, and I definitely got a good kick of how Marta handled some of the dialogue between uh, Akira's three friends from high school. I like the way she managed to sing and having them like casually mock Akira using the Elmer fun voice. Or like a couple of weird minor jokes about Canada because one of them traveled there for vacation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just about keeping all of that with perf in perfect harmony with the show's atmosphere. So um, yeah, I thought John and Martha did an exceptional job here. And I'm not going to lie that right now, this is probably like neck and neck with Beastars for me. is one of the best subs I've heard so far this year. So, uh, yeah, great job. So why don't we talk about the next batch of characters, don't you know? <laughs> I swear to God, Jackson's going to hear this and he's going to send us all like an angry badger or beaver in the mail. Uh, it's just going to like... We're going to open our windows, and there's just going to be a flock of Canadian geese outside with, like, like toques and hockey sticks. And no, there's going to be a letter saying... to wake to an overturned bottle of maple syrup like the horse head and the godfather. And there's just going to be a letter saying you know what you did. <laughs> no, wait, no, wait. One of us is going to wake up with a giant wooden moose at our door that was promised as a gift, and inside is a bunch of angry Mounties. <laughs> or or one of us has to inherit the Ottawa Senators hockey team <laughs> though it is Tampa tradition to fleece the Ottawa Senators hockey team uh, never rest in peace the Iser plan um, yeah <laughs> Okay, um, so I guess we're good to move on to our, to start moving on to the actual cast here. Uh, so first up, we have some of Akira's co-workers at the restaurant she works at. We have Yui Nishida, uh, Takashi Hoshizawa, Kayako Kubo, and Otsuka. Uh, Yui is another one of these servers at the restaurant, and she becomes one of Akira's close friends. Uh, Yoshizawa is Akira's classmate who has a crush on her and works at the restaurant to get close to her, but, uh, unfortunately, he's kind of in the wrong show for that. Uh, Kubo is the assistant manager at the restaurant, and Otsuka is just, uh, one of the cooks, I guess. Um, so, uh, Yui is played by Maggie Flecknow. Yoshizawa is played by Gareth West. Kubo is played by Patricia Duran. And Otsuka is played by Andrew Love. Uh, Maggie Flecknow has played such characters as Yuka Kermitani in Ahirino Sora, 
Belinda Percy in Bernice and Space Pirates, and Masako Natsume in Penguin Drum. Gary Flass has played such characters as Itachi Takeda in Haiku, Lizard Misty in a recent redub of Saint Seiya, and Seiya Takehaya in Surine. And producer Duran has played such characters as Hina Tachibana in Domestic Girlfriend, Yayaka in Flip Flappers, and Kagari in Uchiho and Tora. And lastly, Andrew Love has played such characters as Hades in Appleseed, Hugh in Kiba, and Adam Blaine in Needless. So, uh, Megan, would you like to start us off again? Yeah, no, I'll start with uh, Andrew Love. Uh, Andrew Love did the good, big, deep Andrew Love voice again. Uh, Otsuka doesn't really do much, so I can't really give too much on his performance, but he fit into the background without overshadowing uh, the rest of the cast. Uh, Gareth West's Takashi. God, he is such a dweeb. I love Gareth West and things. Um, like, his performance in Surinay is still one of my favorites. Uh, speaking of which, I finally got that limited edition, guys. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, it is also sitting on my shelf waiting to get... It is awkwardly sitting, like, on top of my copies of free. Because I don't have room for it on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> and it's free's looking at it's like, who are you? It's I'm you, but better. Um, I could say that as somebody who's watched all three seasons of free. Um... Uh, but I really like how Gareth plays him as, like, this dumb, youthful, like, obnoxious, horny teenage boy. He sounded really age-appropriate for him. I actually- I was actually surprised that was Gareth West at first. Because it didn't really remind me of any of his other performances, mostly because I am used to Gareth playing a lot more, like, not as energetic and upbeat characters. I know Eats uh, Takeda is kind of, but he's also, like, a little bit more on the Seiya register than he is on uh, Takachi's. Uh, Maggie Fucked Away as Yui. Uh, she was really cute in this, and I've come a long way on, uh, my thoughts on Maggie. Uh, I think she was great fitting in the background of this. I like when she gets to play characters who are energetic and not literally just there to be tossed around by Otome guys. Um, she was a little squeaky at times, but I think that's what the character kind of called for. Um, and then her and- her and Takashi's thing in the last episode was really cute, and I thought Gareth and her- uh, both delivered that really well. But of all the things, Kayako is the one performance that I, I had a bit of a problem with. I thought that she was a little too cartoonish for the rest of the livery of the show. Um, I know it's the character design. I really do. But there was like this weird kind of fake New York-y accent that was going on. That was trying to make her sound like the older woman that she is. But when you have her against, like, Kondo's character, who is uh, Kondo and even Chihiro, who we're not talking about yet, but we will later, who are, yeah, they can have their eccentric moments, but they still sound like people. She doesn't really get to do that often because that accent is so forced, in my opinion, that it ruins the rest. It, it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb in a show that has a lot of more natural performances. I don't think it's bad, it's just very off-putting when you put it in, in tune with the rest of the show. Okay, uh, that's fair, I guess. Uh, Roots? Yeah. I mean, what can you say about Andrew Love playing the big... playing the big guy? Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot more to Otsuka than being the big guy, but, you know, I like Andrew Love in things. So, who am I to complain? Um, Maggie Fleck 
Maggie Plekno and Gareth West. Um, they had really good chemistry together. Like, I gotta say. Like, of the relationships presented over the course of the show, um, these are the two that I kind of wanted to hook up. Uh, they were both very cute interacting with one another. Um, Gareth Takashi kind of sort of lovesick switching between Akira and Yui. Like, that was absolutely hilarious. Um, his antics when he first joins the restaurant and accidentally shattering a bunch of plates, that was absolutely hilarious. Um, and also... I feel like there is a little bit of a Midwestern twang put into Yui's voice. But I thought that worked really well for the character. Uh, gives her sort of a naivish feel to her. And I, I really liked it. Um, I'm also not going to be quite as harsh about Patricia Duran's Kayoko. Uh, I will admit the accent was a bit much. But, uh, Patricia did a really good job basically smacking Masami around. And making sure that, you know, as the manager of the restaurant, he was doing his job. Um, she did a really good job busting every other character's chops. Um, again, I think the only thing holding the performance back was the accent. Uh, it was heavy New York, New Jersey-ish by the feel of it. I I just feel like it that part of it didn't quite work. Uh, so overall, for this batch of somewhat minor characters over the course of the uh, over the show, like I really like these. They're good kids. <laughs> Okay, um, so, uh, starting with Andrew Live as Ertzka, um, like Roots of Backwards, I just don't like a whole ton to say about the performance, it's the character is just kind of there, but Andrew Live does a good job regardless, and his voice, I thought his voice had, a, like, a good contrast to Kelsey and Kondo, so it kind of helps to balance out the ensemble a little bit, and I did get, like, a little kick out of, like, when he and Kelsey kind of snarked to the possibility of Kondo getting promoted. And I thought that Andrew's, like, sarcastic delivery there was probably, like, the highlight for his character, but otherwise there's kind of not too much to add, but... Uh, but Andrew... But Andrew DeLon just doesn't get have a kind of balance of the ensemble, so I liked him. Uh, Patricia Duran is Kubo, on the other hand. I have a lot more to say on, and I'm back to... And I'm probably also going to disagree with Megan a little bit on that. Uh, I've heard Patricia Duran in a few things, and he's sounded almost completely different in almost everything I've heard her in, so I'm really surprised by how much range she has. And as far as what she does with Kubo, I can kind of see we're going for, like, a Jersey accent seems kind of like a weird choice on paper. Uh, but personally, I actually thought it kind of worked. And for one thing, I felt like it kind of matched the personality pretty well, since Kubo's obviously supposed to come up as, like, a kind of sassy middle-aged worker, and I thought that Patricia got that sass across really well. Especially in all of Kubo's interactions with Kondo, and while we don't know, like, exactly how long she's been working under him, and you get these sense that he's just kind of tired of putting up on how much of a disaster he is a lot of the time, and it's, it's just really delightful. 
And I also just think that, like, in general, I thought the style of voice kind of helped to give the dub, like, a little bit of flavor without taking away too much from the naturalism. And, uh, and, uh, and I thought for me, it helped that a lot of Patricia's delivery was very solid in spite of the accent. And I thought that she did also a pretty good job during Kobo's, like, occasional softer moments where, you know, she just... Where she, where she might bust condo shops a lot, but she's generally pretty nice to her, and I kind of like that. And, uh, yeah, I thought the performance was pretty good, and, again, in general, I just really like Patricia's range, so I really hope she gets put more things. And, uh, moving on to Garib West as Yoshizawa. Uh, were you gonna say something, Megan? Oh, no, go ahead. Ah, okay. Um, so, Gareth West is Yoshizawa. I've gotten pretty used to hearing Gareth West is pretty boys at this point. Although hearing him play this big dumb goofball was kind of surprising, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, in another anime, Yoshizawa might have been a main love interest, but this is definitely not that show, so it's kind of... It's hard not to feel a little sorry for him watching him kind of chase out the rocker when he clearly doesn't have a chance. And I definitely got a good laugh about out of Gareth's delivery every time he tried and failed to get Akira's number and just kind of screwed up something at the restaurant by being a goober. And he's just kind of like a big dumb puppy and I thought that Gareth just got that energy across really well. And I kind of made it impossible to hate this guy no matter how dumb he is. And it's also just why I kind of liked how well he powered stuff and Maggie fucked their Yui. And the way he just kind of helped her to indirectly pursue her dream was kind of cute. And speaking of Maggie Fleckner's Yui, uh, she's probably the biggest character out of this section, and I thought that Maggie did a pretty good job with her. I've said this on other episodes, but since my first impression of Maggie as an actress was through the Penguin Drum Dub, I haven't always had the highest opinion of her work, and it can sometimes be a little hit or miss for me. Uh, but I definitely put this one in the hit cab, since I think she does a really good job of getting across Yui's kind of bubbly personality. And makes her come off as a very sunny teenager compared to how down and adult soccer is for most of the show. And I definitely just kind of liked how well she played off of Akira in a lot of their interactions. And I also thought that Maggie's delivery was pretty funny when she says he wasn't interested in Kondo because he smells old man gross. And, <laughs> actually just, and how she says that she just prays for her mouth whenever she talks to him, I thought that was pretty funny. And I also just thought that Maggie did a good job bouncing off of Gareth West Yoshizawa. And uh, I thought she did a good job of just kind of conveying Yui's awkwardness about her crush. And uh, compared to how talkative Yui is the rest of the time, it made her whole, it made the whole dynamic there kind of cute. And even though those two don't explicitly hook up, I think they'd probably make a good couple. So, hey, I'll prove for those dumb kids. Uh, if I had any complaint about Maggie's performance, is that her higher pitch can sound maybe a little straight at some points. Uh, but it's mostly just a nitpick, and on the whole, I thought she did a really fine job here, and I liked all four of these performances. And uh, with that, we can move on to um, slightly more major characters. And uh, going into pairs, we have a very good boy and a very, very bad boy. Uh, we have Yuto Okajima and Ryosuke Kase. Uh, Yuto is Kodo's son from his previous marriage, while Kase is one of the other cooks at the restaurant. And after finding out about Akira's crush on Kondo, he blackmails her to go on a date with him because this guy sucks. Fuck he is boy. Basically, after the rains, Matthew McConaughey. Uh. <laughs> Just do it. Rip the bandaid off, Roots. <laughs> <laughs> High school girls. Every year uh. I get older, they stay the same. Uh. God, what a fuck boy. <laughs> 
Um, so Ito is played by Kerry Vincent Davis, and Kase is played by one Jason LeBrecht. Uh, Kerry Vincent Davis has been doing Dubs in Houston for pretty much forever, and she's playing characters such as Emily and Air Gear, and a Hard and Toledo star, and everyone's favorite character, Serio Ubiquitous in Akame Gakko. Uh, Jason LeBrecht, on the other hand, is a longtime regular at Funimation, who seems to have just swung by Sentai for this show. And you might have heard him play such characters as Train Hartnett in Black Cat, Yato in Origami, and Lavi in the Gray Man. Uh, now, if I recall correctly, I think Jason Lebrecht actually got his start at ADV. Yes, he did! Oh, wow. Yes, he fucking oh. did! He's in a Monster Island dub. Oh, wow. So I guess it's just coming full circle. Why do I know this? Because I'm the one person who actually likes and owns Petite Princess Yushi. Oh, yeah, that was the one, wasn't it? Yep, he plays a character named Gaga. <laughs> huh. I'm not I'm not explaining anything to you because the second that thing goes up on fucking high dive or discotech licenses it, I'm making all of you buy it and do an episode with me. I don't care how bad the job is, and I don't care that it has aged poorly. You're going to watch it for the ghost fairy for the ghost girl and the fairy girl to be lesbians. Okay. <laughs> I also want to point out that Petite Princess Yushi's, like, pair, like penultimate episode had me crying for eight hours. Uh. Like, I had to put it down and call all my friends and apologize for being a shitty friend. Uh, anyway, that's a story for another day. Let me get my thoughts on, on the good boy and the fuck boy. Uh, Kira Vincent Davis as Yuto. He was really, she was really cute. Um, I liked her little boy voice. I didn't think that it was super strange or super unnatural. Uh, this kid is a little bit of a demon child. Uh, he kid he coerced his father into raising a hamster. To which, how to get actual people to like you cute animal pictures. Duh. This is true. <laughs> Post. How you do it? Insert picture of Andrew's illegally cute puppy here. Oh my um, god, his puppy. That thing is floof. <laughs> it's so floofy. Um, I think that she did a good job. I really like uh, Kira's performance when Akira's teaching Yuto to run in the last episode. I think it's, yeah, it's the last episode that happens, right? Yeah, it's the last episode. And Yuto does the whole, uh, my dad taught me to never get up even if I fall, I keep running to the finish line. Um, I thought that was really well played and it still kept that little kid voice while being really normal sounding. Uh, obviously sounds like pretentious little anime kid, but hey, what are you gonna do? This is anime. Um, so overall solid performance. And then Jason as Ryosuke. Um, I wanted to kick him in the nuts. Uh, for blackmailing Akira over, over her feelings. Like... I think the show goes out of its way to, to kind of be like, yo, Akira, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? Enough? For you as a viewer? Uh, while kind of, it, like, indulges her, but it never indulges her in a super creepy way. But just, like, the whole point where you you hear her listen to the conversation about where he's gonna tutor somebody for money... And he's like, yeah, yeah. And then you just hear the t that switch, and it's like, oh, it's, it's not a girl. I'm not gonna fucking do that. 
and you kind of hear that like sleaze in his voice where it's clear that he he keeps his looks up for like the ability to date younger women but he's kind of being a huge hypocrite by kind of picking on Akira for having feelings for Kondo where he himself is asking a 17 year old out on a date and you don't know how old he is but it's clearly like she's still a minor and he's not a minor and he's right, yeah. and he's pressuring her to keep going, like grabbing her hand, um, telling her she's disgusting for her feelings, and like I don't think he ever gets kind of his true comeuppance for it, but he also kind of fades into the background for it. But I think Jason does that really good job. And Jason's really good at playing kind of these sleazy scumball kind of guys. I mean, he plays Dobby from My Hero really well and well. Ryosuke is not Dobby, that we know of. Um, um, he still presents a lot of that same kind of, like, malice, but not malice, like, killing malice, but malice that is just inherently, like, toxic masculinity, in a sense. And I think that Jason does a really good job nailing that. Okay, uh, Roots? Yeah, I, um, I happen to really, like, Kira Vincent Davis as Yuto, um, particularly for one of the reasons uh, Megan was describing the uh, the episode with the hamster when he brings it into the restaurant because um, what was it a classmate gave it to him? Yes, and he's just beaming about it, and um, Akira walks him home. And I forgot the the circumstances that led her to end up in his claw in um. As, uh, yeah, it, it was just, it, yeah, it was just typically Kondo was coming in. He was like, "Oh, I want to play a prank on my dad." And closet. the and the prank and the prank was causing her to nearly have heat exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate gremlin child. Murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's upgraded. Oh God. Um, uh, da, 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 da. what am I, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, oh God. So he, he's upgraded from a little gremlin to a poppet. Oh no. Oh no. Little murder <laughs> puppet. Anyway, he's great. Um, she does a really good job with him. Uh, like, he, he's just a cute, bubbly, innocent, I'm assuming, like, five or six-year-old. Like, he, he looks about kindergarten-ish, right? Kindergarten first uh, grade. Yeah, it's yeah. about that. But she does a really good job with him. And, uh, I can kind of say the same about Jason Lebrecht as Ryosuke. Just not for the same reasons. Uh... Ryosuke just oozes sleaze. And I think Jason Lebrecht handled that really well and tastefully. Um, didn't play off of the more negative aspects of Ryosuke's character too much. Um, and ultimately, I do think Akira absolutely calling him out in the episode where they go on a date together... Like, I feel like that ended up being his comeuppance, basically neutering him. And 
I, I think that episode was also the, the highlight of his character, where he just... Ab it, it's apparently clear that he is sort of that toxic masculinity pickup artist type. Because uh, he he's dragging Akira everywhere he wants to go, does, does stuff he wants to do, but doesn't stop to try to understand Akira at all. And that ends up being ultimately the undoing of his attempts to, like, have this date. But I think that episode was really good. Um, he gets to be kind of a... Oh, how would I describe it? Um, after that episode, he's just... He just kind of acts like a little bitch who lives for drama. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly... It was something about Kondo that he just oh. was an absolute sleaze about. Oh, um, it's when he's sick. That's right. And he tells he tells Akira that she's annoying him. Yeah. Like, he's ultimately still kind of being antagonistic toward Akira's attempts at a relationship. And it's, like, it, it's a really interesting character arc of his. I... I would love to get a little more in depth about it, um, but I I'll move things on to Jet because I, in terms of the dub performances, I really like them both. Okay, uh, so I will also start with Kira Vincent Davis as Yuto. I feel like most of the work I've seen from Kira has been her doing little boy voices, but she's clearly very good at that, and she does a really good job here. Uh, she makes Yuto come off as a very spooky kid, and I like how well she handles all of Yuto's interactions with Akira and Kondo. I uh, like when he's just kind of trying to pot off a new hamster on Kondo, or trying to get Akira to play along with a prank, and Kira's delivery in all those moments feel makes Yuto feel like a typical kid. And sure enough, he never quite catches on to Akira having a crush on his dad, which is probably for the best. Uh, speaking of which, I definitely did like how all of Akira's interactions with Yuto specifically were kind of helpful in kind of helping Akira to work through her depression in the show. And uh, while the whole bit in the final episode where Yuto kind of talked about the importance of getting back up to finish the race was maybe a little on the nose, it was so definitely where Akira needed to hear in that moment, and I thought the Kira's delivery of that line felt uh, very sincere, even if it was a little childish, and it definitely helped to add a whole lot to that scene, so... I thought that whole thing was pretty well done. And again, I just really kind of like how well she bounces off of Kondo's actor. Especially when Yuto's trying to pot off the hamster. He's like, oh, but if I give the hamster, you'll get to see me more. And Kondo's like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, fuck. <laughs> so it's literally that Morty, you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, and, uh, shit. My five-year-old son has a point. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and as for Jason Lebrecht's Kase, uh, I was pretty surprised to see him here since, again, I he hasn't been in any other Sentai dubs that I can recall, but he's, he's definitely one of my favorite actors in Funimation, so I definitely don't mind him when he gets more work, and he was a really great choice for Kase. Uh, compared to a lot of Jason's other work, he plays Kase a lot more kind of laid-back and snide. 
Uh, and while he's mostly just kind of in the background for the first couple of episodes, when he does finally come into focus, it's clear that this guy is definitely very much a wannabe Chad, and Jason gets that across really well. Uh, this show is really well directed in general, but if there's one thing I really like, it's that when Katsu is just kind of like first interested in checking Akira out, like the way the ca like the camera glances on Akira just enough that you get a very clear idea of what he's focusing on, but it's not played up for fan service. And I, I think it's just one of the really way, way good ways this show kind of does a good job of making something really strong out of what would have been an otherwise very messy premise. Uh, but back on Jason's performance, I thought his whole, like, very snide delivery when he finds out about Akira's crush was really well done. And, uh, and just the way he uses it, and the way he uses it to get a date from her just sounded so on par with every dude who's just kind of looking to get an easy score. And it just made him sound extra punchable. Especially with the way he just kind of kept twisting her arm into going along with his antics, and I just really kind of wanted to see this dude get punched into the sun. And it's definitely very easy to see why Akira wanted to purge that whole experience from her memory. And I just really like that whole, like, bit of character animation after the date where she just, like, recalls it. And she's just kind of, like, rubbing the tissue on her cheek again. I thought that whole thing was kind of, like, really funny. Uh, but of course, uh, since this show is very down-to-earth in its drama, he never gets any, like, serious comeuppance for this. Uh, but since he does kind of feel like he got stunned by Akira, Kase just kind of spends the rest of the time in the show just sort of hanging out in the background, kind of being petty and uh, sort of serving as a devil, whispering in Akira's ear as he just kind of tells him how much he's wasting her time being around Kondo. Uh, at the same time, it's kind of hard to deny that he does have, like, he has, like, a little bit of a point, but he's just so petty and stark about it that it's, it's really hard not to hate this guy. And Jason's delivery and all of Kase's interactions with Akira after their quote-unquote date just helped this guy to make... Uh, it just helps to make Kase feel both very realistic and just deeply unlikable. Again, it sucks that he just kind of hangs around to the end of the show, but again, he's not, like, super important to the end goal. And he's kind of proven wrong anyway, since Akira does kind of end up being important to Kondo after all, even if it's not quite in the way she wanted. Uh, but anyway, I thought that Jason did a really good job of making me hate Kase, so uh, that was very spot on, and I like both of these performances. And uh, with that, uh, we'll move on to our uh, Pentiment duo. We have uh, Chihiro Kujo and Haruka, Haruka Kion. Uh, Chihiro is an old college classmate of Kondo's and a popular writer, while Haruka is the uh, captain of the track team that Har that uh, Akira used to be on, and uh, she's a childhood friend of hers who uh, may or may not have a crush on her. You're free to interpret that however you like. Oh, she's gay. She's, <laughs> I say free to interpret that however you like, but like, let's be real here, folks. <laughs> Haruka-chan in the morning glories, boys. <laughs> Haruka, listen, this is the Suzuka fanfiction, the Suzuka AU I wanted. <laughs> God, I hate Suzuka so much. Uh, I, uh, I don't think I ever finished Suzuka. Listen, if you're old enough to remember when Funimation had a premium cable channel, <laughs> um, they used to play like four shows on repeat. Those were Moon Phase, Kodacha, Spiral, and Suzuka. Guess which one I hated. Wow. <laughs> that seems like a very weird lineup in general, but... I think, like, yeah. Negimo was on there. 
uh, Gunslinger Girl would show up, Burst Angel. Um, I think that's, yeah, because I used to watch Burst Angel on there a lot. I think FMA was on there for a little while, like... I don't know, but Suzuka was the one I vividly remember always turning my TV, and there was, like, a fucking Suzuka marathon. Ah. <laughs> and I hated it. Because I was, oh, like, 13, lovely. and... Because I was, like, 13, and I didn't know what nuance was. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, uh, Chihiro is played by Joe Daniels, and Haruka is played by Elizabeth Maxwell. Uh, Joe Daniels has played such characters as Momoharu Hasamoto and Ahiro Sora, uh, Rentaro Kusunogi in Food Wars in Third Place, and Masaki Takigawa in Tsurune. Uh, Elizabeth <sighs> Maxwell, on the other hand, is more of a Funimation regular, and she's played such characters as Ymir in Attack on Titan, Iris Otani in Fruits Basket 2019, and of course, Saini Jibai Persona 5. Everybody out there, like, look. I, you brought up P5, so we have to give a shout out to our friend, who isn't a Psy fucker, but he is a Tay Takamaki fucker. What up, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> our, our good friend, Josh. Uh, yeah, I, as, I mean, I mean, you literally can't date Psy in the game, but. <laughs> you know, you know if Not someone with that could. Attitude, you can't. <laughs> Makoto walks in. Ren, what are you doing? You, but better. <laughs> <laughs> or you do the Persona 5 domestic girlfriend route and have a three-way. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. a dad. I didn't need that mental image. No. <laughs> <laughs> You really need to go to sleep. Imagine if instead of Morgana giving you go to bed advice, Morgana gave you sex tips. Uh. Hey, you should go pick up the Kama Sutra. <laughs> I am so sorry, Mr. Railfold. <laughs> You're welcome, Crimson. You're fucking welcome. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, Joe Daniels as Jihiro. Uh, as we all know, uh, Megan is in love with Joe Daniels' character from Sirene. He is, in fact, the hottest teacher Kyoto animation ever made. Come fight me, sound euphonium pans. You can meet me in the pit. At least we have an actual dub. Um. Uh, um sad. That was, Even though that I can't was, watch that show because PTSD. Is it the band nerd? Is it the band geek in you? The inner wanted to be a band geek but got scared off because fifth grade band teacher huh there's a story uh. there's a lot of layers to unwrap in that in the words of John Millennium now we don't have time for that no we don't I love you though so honey. I'm just gonna take the 
I'm gonna take this childhood trauma and I'm just gonna shove it back in the suitcase. It's not gonna fit, but I'm gonna try. I am so sorry. I did not mean to make you be that bitchy about it. I'm so sorry. I'm not being bitchy. I'm trying to be funny about it. Okay, cool. G.I. Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's a story behind that, too. You, the listener, will know it by the time this comes out, but... (laughs) Or not. Depends on when this gets edited. (laughs) Uh, So let's... Oh, man. I really... I could not believe that was Joe Daniels as Chihiro. Like... Mostly because, again, I'm I know Joe Daniels of things, but I'm also not super super familiar with him. Uh, I know I did another. Oh wait, I think I talked about him in something else recently too. Shit! I just realized wasn't Gareth Weston O'Maidens as the teacher? Yes. Why did I just remember that? What because the it's fuck? Because how the human brain? brain works. It makes you remember the things that you want to remember. After you need to remember it. Thank you, you stupid ball of hormones and neurons. Um, but no, uh, I really liked his performance. I like that he was this kind of weird, wacky, older guy. And frankly, he, he like Kondo, was kind of a snack. Um, in, the, in the weird, like, you want to fuck Merlin from fate kind of way. Like, you firmly fall in the camp of, like, Merlin and Romani Ackerman are, like the doomy characters of fate kind of way. That's a long story for another episode that you two will be on. Um, to which place your yes, bets now will. for the, place your bets now yeah. for the place your place your bets now for the Babylonia thirst derby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> remember kids, Coming I've only got to the dub talk podcast. Remember kids, I've only got three holes and don't you say not with that attitude. <laughs> That's just weird. Um, Remember, kids, I've got only three holes, and the boys only have two. Um, but uh, I really liked his. I really liked his performance, and I really liked that performance. The part in episode eleven where him and Kondo are making coffee and doing the old uh, "How We Got Frankenstein" game. To which, yes, that's right, kids. Frankenstein was written on a bet, um, or at least a drunken night in a castle. And remember that Mary Shelley fucked in her own mom's grave. Um. That's a true story. And it's also literary history, which is completely appropriate for this episode. Um, I really like this kind of mania and weird, kind of odd, madcap-ish performance that still felt human. Like, he makes he does a very convincing drunk performance in uh, the festival episode. I really liked his speech about how he wants to taint readers and he doesn't like any more of this mainstream writing shit. Because he's become this big, famous mainstream writer, and I guess in a, in a weird sense, like a big theme of this show is recapturing what you've lost, whether it be uh, past love or past passion. And I, I really think that Joe gets that in the in his performance for as little of the show as he's honestly kind of in. Uh, he really, he really milks the screen time with his performance and. He could stand toe-to-toe with uh, Kondo's actor in those scenes, despite, I think, Joe's kind of... I don't want to say Joe's a new actor, but he's relatively a name that I don't think a lot of casual anime fans are going to know right now. Because he hasn't been in stuff... Well, No, wait, he is in Food Wars, I think. Uh, He's in Food Wars, and I think he is in Haikyuu. 
Uh, oh yeah, that's right, because Joe is, uh, uh, Joe is the dude on, Joe's the dude that Hinata says, I'm Hinata, and I'm from the street, and I'm from the street. Yeah, he's that guy. Yeah, he's that guy, whose name I can't remember right now, but, and I think in Food Wars, I think he's the guy who, towards the end of season two, is in, uh, Lagoon, the Lagoon Magicians. <laughs> Megan's favorite characters in Food Wars are that pink bean dude and his gay his gay best friend Hinako. Like, those are my two favorite Food War characters. Um. So it's, by the way guys, hey, I like Food Wars now. If you don't know. I don't think I brought that up on podcast today. I've completely turned my opinion around on Food Wars, but that's for another story. Um, so I really think that he held up toe-to-toe and that he should be a name that should be on a lot of people's radars. Um. So definitely look for him in more Sentai stuff, and hopefully maybe he gets kind of branched out from Sentai into stuff like for Sound Cadence or Pocha or Okatron, because Okatron has brought in people from Houston, and so is Sound Cadence and Pocha. And then Elizabeth Maxwell's Haruka. Uh, I legitimately thought that was Brittany Karbowski. Same here, honestly. I thought Honestly, that, I, th- I, thought honestly it was like, I got it confused with Jeremy Way for a second. Like, it was, it did not sound like Elizabeth Maxwell to me. Like, I was, I very much thought that that was a Brittany Kowalski performance, and I want to say it's, it's absolutely, like, an, a, a must-see performance for Elizabeth. And she has been absolutely nailing it in these kind of drama shows uh, over the last two years, whether it be uh, the reboot of Fruits Basket or After the Rain now. Um, or I, I want to say Plunderer, but I haven't watched it, and I just feel bad for what I've heard happens to her character a lot. Um... But her Haruka is so moving and so touching. And, like, I honestly legitimately wanted her to get with Akira. Like, I was like, do it. Do it, show. Let them get together. Let them be gay. And her emotionality in this frail teenage heart that Elizabeth puts into this, while not making her sound too old or too out of place, there's, like, a softness to it. Even though she's very clearly kind of the tomboy character. But she doesn't get to stick to that archetype. She very much... You feel... Elizabeth's performance makes you feel genuinely bad for her. She's seeing her best friend lose herself. And she doesn't know how to handle it because... There's a lot of trauma in watching your your best friend just... Honest to God, like... Just self-combust. Like, her friend, like, the the Akira she knew is just gone. And I also really appreciate that Elizabeth uh, didn't lose a lot of the sense of what made her character her character when she played the younger version of Haruka. Because you do see Akira and Haruka probably maybe in elementary school and middle school, but the tone and the way that she hides her- and the way that she- like, the cadence of her voice, the tone of it- uh, the way that she ages it up at, depending on, like, where she is, either in current time or flashbacks, is really well put together. And I really appreciate that, especially for an actress that I think, if you watch a lot more of your mainstream stuff, like your, um, your My Heroes, you play games like P5, your Attack on Titans, a lot of Elizabeth's characters are a lot more adult and sultry. Whereas Haruka is this kind of very lost, youthful, energetic girl who has to go through watching her best friend become the shell of the person that she knew. And that's my thoughts. 
Okay, uh, Roots? Yeah, so I will admit, this is probably my first time hearing Joe Daniels in, like, a major role in a Sentai Filmworks sub. Um, I really liked him. He is this eccentric, kooky author who's absolutely burned out of his own success and is clinging to his dear old college pal to try and rekindle what he had that got him to where he was. Like, it is... His story arc in the After the Rain anime is very short, but it's this... It is weirdly moving. Also, like Megan said, he he plays drunk really, really well. Like that that scene in the uh, in the festival episode, uh, which I'll be getting back to in a sec for Haruka and Elizabeth Maxwell, because um, that is the highlight of a lot of the characters that we're talking about. Um, like he he's just this absolutely comedic goofball who is also sort of a main driving force in helping Kondo regain the parts of himself that he thought lost to time. And Elizabeth Maxwell as Haruka, holy shit. Um, like Megan, as I mentioned, I confused her for Brittany Karpowski for most of the show until I actually kind of paid attention to the end credit roll and saw the name Elizabeth Maxwell pop up. Um, I thought this was really good. Um, other than, like, Bishamon, this is probably what I would consider to be... If you want to watch a really good performance of hers, I would probably recommend this or an origami. Particularly Aragoto. Oh, yeah, her shit in Argoto is, like, still one of my top ten favorite performances in anime. Like, this is absolutely beautiful, absolutely haunting. She, she like Chihiro, is watching her best friend absolutely burn out and self-combust from her own feelings. And is absolutely powerless to help her and completely frustrated by the fact that she can't do anything and the the whole story arc with her and Akira drifting apart was just absolutely heartbreaking and a lot of it is credited to Elizabeth Maxwell um, I would probably say this is a very strong dubby contender for me um, so, I'm I'm all set. Jet, why don't you let us know your opinion? Uh, cool. Uh, so, I'll start with Chihiro. Uh, I only really know Joe Daniels for playing Misaki and Tsurune, and while I liked him in that show. And Misaki was kind of stiff and serious a fair chunk of the time, so it didn't give me, like, a really good idea what Joe's range is like. Um, so, in comparison to this show, I thought he sounded a lot livelier. And I was actually kind of surprised at how just laid back and silly his performance could be. And uh, compared to Kondo, who can be pretty funny, but it also comes off as kind of jaded by middle age, 
Actually, he really kind of sounds like he's always having the time of his life thanks to all of his successes in Arthur. And uh, it's kind of fun watching him bounce off of Kondo, who's just kind of largely given up on his dreams by this point. And uh, there's simply just a lot of energy and pep to do his performance. And but at the same time, because he's a writer like Kondo is, he has plenty of his own troubles going on. And he's just kind of dealing with the pressures of his own success. And while he mostly plays that off in front of Kondo, you can tell he's just mostly putting on an act, and I thought that Joe conveyed all that really well. And there's just this really good mix of humor and sincerity, where Tihiro just kind of talks about where his career is headed. And uh, you can also tell that even though Tihiro has uh, about as much to do with as Kondo does, uh, he also doesn't want to see Kondo give up on his passion for writing, and while he doesn't outright say that, it was kind of nice seeing him kind of indirectly egg Kondo on into, you know, remembering why he liked to write. And I thought that it made some of their scenes together some of the best of the whole show. And uh, Joe's performance here was really solid. It kind of makes me want to sit down and kind of watch a little more of Haiku, since I know he's Uchijima. And I'm definitely pretty curious what his performance there sounds like. Uh, but yeah, I thought this was really great. And uh, as for Haruka... Uh, I actually had forgotten Elizabeth Maxwell's name within the cast announcements for this, uh, so when I heard her as Haruka, I actually kind of needed a minute to uh, figure out who it was, because I kind of confused her with Jeremy Lay for a second. Uh, I've heard my fair share of Elizabeth's work at this point, including a couple of teenagers, uh, but whenever I think of Elizabeth Maxwell playing teens, it's probably something along the lines of Uotani and Fruits Basket, and I just simply sounds a lot softer than that performance did. Uh, but I really liked it because I thought it kind of helped Elizabeth to stand a little more in this role. And while we don't see, like, too much of Haruka in the first couple of episodes, and what we do get kind of helps to paint the idea that she and Akira are friends, but, like, maybe a little distant. And Elizabeth plays that awkwardness really well since he kind of puts on a brave face around Akira when you can tell she's pretty worried about her. But, of course, as we get a little further into the show, we get a good idea of how close those two used to be. Oh, again, the show is, like, a little ambiguous as to whether Haruka is pining over her friend or just outright having a crush on Akira. Having watched this show for the third time, I definitely lean more towards he definitely has a crush. Uh, between the heavy admiration, kind of feeling awkward when she sees Akira hanging out with Yui, and I think it's, like, episode three or four, and then just, like, the very specific way she kind of flipped out after seeing, after finding out Akira had a crush on Kondo. Yeah, definitely gotta have a bar and die by she's straight. Uh, but either way, you really get the sense that uh, the sense of distance he feels between herself and Akira and how that kind of meets away at her. And that's just kind of terrifying of Akira giving up on trying because it kind of means the two of them won't be together anymore. And I thought Elizabeth got all those frustrations across really well, and I especially like the scene where she finally decides to confront Akira at the restaurant and kind of tells her outright to get back to track. And you can tell she was having a really hard time being honest about it while trying to respect Akira's feelings. I thought Elizabeth got all of that across really well. Uh, I mean, of course, in the end, Akira returning to track ends up being her own decision, but when Akira does come back in the finale, uh, just a feeling of relief in Elizabeth's tone is clear as day, and uh, I'm glad Haruka gets to be happy in the end because she really deserves it. Uh, both these performances were great, and Elizabeth especially was fantastic, so awesome job. And with that, we are actually good to move on to our main duo. Uh, we have our two leads, Akira Tachibana and Masami Kondo. 
Akira is a former high school track star who suffered a serious injury. And after being comforted by Kondo, she starts working at the same restaurant as him in order to pursue him. Uh, Kondo, on the other hand, is a middle-aged restaurant manager who once dreamed of being a writer, uh, but kind of fell into a slump and mostly abandoned his dreams. So playing Akira, we have Lucy Christian, and playing Kondo, we have Jason Douglas. Uh, if you've listened to literally any Houston or Texas-based dogs in the last couple of decades, the odds are pretty high you've heard Lucy Christian. She's playing characters such as Birdie in Birdie the Mighty the Code, Kanabe Tadori in Full Metal Panic, Hesia in Is It Wrong to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon, Rag in Made in the Miss, and of course, Otako Uraka in My Hero Academia. Uh, Jason Douglas has also been in Texas Space Dogs for a long time, and he's played such characters as Dude in Catch and Sins, Kildarts Clive in Fairy Tale, Akoji in One Piece, Goto in Parasite, The Maxim, and of course, Lord Beer is a Dragon Ball Super. Ah. Uh, <clears throat> let's talk about this. These are two of my favorite performances of this year so far. I think that Lucy and Jason knocked this out of the park, especially Jason in my mind. Um, Lucy has to play this. I'll start with Lucy first. Lucy has to play this very hard role of a character that doesn't really have a lot of outward emotive expression on her face. Um, for anime characters, a lot of times in in Slice of Life or Romance, depending on, on, on what type they are, there's a lot of cutesy, chibi, like, outbreaky kind of faces. Like, you've, if you've watched enough anime, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Akira, as a character, and, and also to the point of this show, which is beautifully animated, by the way, like, I cannot say enough nice things about the team behind it, uh, less about the studio behind it, even though I really like them as a studio. Go fuck yourself, George Wada. Um, oh yeah, this is done by studio with, you know, the same people who did Attack on Titan. <laughs> I'm just imagining them working on this in between seasons of Attack on Titan. I think this actually kind of also did come out in between seasons of Attack on Titan, too? Yeah, it did. It's like, <laughs> alright, yeah, we've got... This been 2018, um, January... So this is like, I think, yeah, like I right think it before Titan. It's like, alright, it's like, look at Studio Wit's resume. There's like, Attack on Titan, Empire of Corpses, Seraph of the End, more Attack on Titan, Vinland Saga, Magus Bride in this. Magus Bride in this. Those are their outliers. Um, but no, seriously, George Watt is an evil person. Um, he is evil. Um, but... I think that Akira, her performance as Akira, where Akira does get mad and, and kind of yell and elevate her tone, but she doesn't also play her as, like, monotone and emotionless. She does play her as this very kind of conflicted teenage girl, and it's not like Lucy Christian's a stranger to any of this in her performances. She plays a lot of teenage girls, a lot of little boys, a lot of little girls, a lot of adults. Uh, I, I mean, she's a, mas she's a, a master of her craft. I think that the reason I really like this is that for as as cold and awful as and awkward as a lot of these characters say that Akira is, I think that Lucy gives her a warmth to her performance where because you know what those characters don't, that she's conflicted and she's broken because she doesn't know how to overcome the trauma of this horrific injury 
that caused her great depression because she couldn't do the things she loved anymore or the thing that brought her joy and and frankly like we don't get a lot of glimpses into her home life but it is a very is abundantly clear that she lives with just her mom she doesn't have a father figure in her life um and her even then like the way that they presented her mom's working all the time um you kind of see them glimpses at home but the mom is just kind of like she doesn't seem like a huge staple in her life compared to other things. Like, she she is also presented as kind of aloof, even as a child. But with Haruka, she warms up. And, and those scenes in middle school where she's just like, it's only going to be a couple of months. Let's go to Kazemai together and hear the wind. Um, I really, just really like Lucy's performance in this. She has these great emotional moments. I... I really like a lot of what the show does with Akira too, and I I think the other reason I really like that Akira's character is also stuff that was done without dialogue. There's a lot of stretches of the show where it's just done through color and and music and stuff, and it's beautifully put together. And Lucy's performance matches that very well. I think that she does such an amazing job playing a character that is so tricky to play. Because, uh, I mean, maybe it's just me and I've watched a lot of shonen stuff. Um, or maybe it's because Akira is a female character. Uh, I'm used to a lot of traumatized characters being kind of, like, angry, yelling, and feral. Uh, maybe it's because I've been playing a lot of Fire Rumbling lately. Um, shout out to Chris Hackney. Uh, but I, I really love this, like, quiet grace of the way that she this quiet grace and warmth and by the end of it where they get to this realization between them that they need to move forward and and kind of take their own own path in life is really 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 well done and man jason douglas is really fucking good in this um yes he is uh i have (laughs) i have this is like i have jason douglas like has infamously done a performance that broke me and moved me to tears uh shout out to all of us who watched episode three of the ancient magus bride um oh, yeah good old nevin oh yeah, good old nevin good old nevin man um i love this performance of this kind of dorky dad who is socially awkward about his co-workers Kind of aloof, but as you as you get to know him better, like Akira does, and as the show goes on, you find out that he's just as lonely as she is. That they are opposite sides of the same coin. And where Akira is kind of, I think, uh, presented as overly cold, you get Kondo presented as overly warm. He's always apologizing to people. He's always trying to kind of get people to like him. You, you see that there are books of how to be a good boss, how to, um, how to get to know people, how to be a good leader. And he doesn't really know how to interact with other people outside of what was the best days of his life, which was his college days where he was writing all the time and pursuing what he wanted. And yet he got married and uh, had a kid and it didn't work out. And you kind of hear all these other characters kind of admonishing him like... He smells bad. He smells old. Uh, he he's always apologizing. Why can't he be a man? Like, I and I just really like it. And I love those moments where he you hear him narrating to himself in his head, like where he's like, "This is wrong for me to do this. 
I should not be getting close to Akira, like, but you never, you know that he never wants to do it romantically. And the thing that I, one of the scenes I really like with them is not only his scene in episode 11, where he's talking about, talking to uh, Chihiro about the past and the future, and it kind of kicks him off into starting to write again, but it's, I think, like, episode 8 or 9, where they are, in fact, talking about Akira, um... I'm sorry, Ryunosuke Aktigawa's uh, Rashomon, the book, not the Akira Surasawa film, which is actually made up of, like, three different Ryunosuke Aktigawa stories, just under one banner as Rashomon, which if, like, for those of you who've only watched Moon Go Straight Dogs, uh, I also did a huge article on this, but, uh, Ryunosuke Aktigawa, actual human being, actual author, not fictional character, Rashomon, an actual movie that is very, very famous, um, like, funnily enough, uh, um, there's a very, there's a PS4 game coming out called, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, uh, Tsushima which has, a, like, a, a mode literally called Kurosawa mode, and, and that's the guy who made the Rashomon film, for those of you who wonder. Um, it's Jason and Lucy's dual performances when they are talking about, uh, the ending to Rashomon. And how their tones very much reflect their mindset of characters. Where she wants a sequel. She wants to have a solid, conclusive ending to something that goes on. While he is giving this kind of more positive affirmation of the story. But he is okay with it remaining ambiguous. Because I guess in a sense it reflects what they want out of their life. He wants to go back to the time of youth, which is something a time that is more ambiguous and free where he isn't constantly bogged down by the weight of my life is a huge failure. I never accomplished my dreams. I, I want to go back to this, this childhood, this teenage dumb where I could do whatever I want and explore my passion without really any repercussions to taste that youth again. And you kind of hear that this tone in Jason's performance of a man wanting to recapture that where Lucy is that girl who's trying to grow up too fast. She wants to have something stable. She doesn't want this uncertainty and this inability. She wants that stable grounding. And for her story to continue on with a clear message, she doesn't want ambiguity. But at the end of the day, in their final moments in the series, where they both kind of affirm to... They affirm to themselves where she says thank you for everything and he says you're welcome. But they go their separate ways and they talk about meeting again after the rain. And it's just such a beautiful ending and beautiful performances that they're both going to have to walk the path of ambiguity, knowing that there's going to be trials and tribulations. And at the end of the day, you have to come out from under the shelter and face the Rashomon. And God, I went on a really big tangent there and I am so sorry. Roots, go ahead. No, no, no. That was, that was beautiful. Thank Uh, you. Oh, sometimes Uh, I put, sometimes I put my college degree to use. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this Thank is you, definitely 30... the perfect show to use it on Thank you you 37000 th- dollar piece of paper <laughs> <laughs> Alright let's see here Where do I want to begin Where do I want to begin Um I think I'll start with Akira actually I Like Megan I, I really love both of these performances and I feel like they kind of had to be nailed 
in order to act as the cornerstone of all of these other character interactions. If these didn't work, none of the show would have worked. And I... Like, in particular, Lucy plays um, Akira on a very thin tightrope. Um, if she had played her a little more tsundere than Akira was presented in the show, I don't think the character would have worked. Um, but it is very clear from the get-go that she is... She is distant from the people around her because she's honestly not sure how to interact with them. Uh, she is... She is this timid girl who can't figure out what she wants out of life, especially after being completely sidelined from the things she was incredibly passionate about. Because she ended up injuring herself. Uh, I, I think it was described in the show as she blew out her Achilles tendon. Yeah, that's the explicit thing. Which, um, ow. Yeah, it's it's incredibly painful and it will sideline you for a while. Um, but she is. Without running in her life, she is trying desperately to cling to something. And it ends up being Kondo. Um, who she realizes, I think, by the end of episode one into the start of episode two, that she's developing feelings for him, even though he's he's just this big old dork. And yeah, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's kind of supposed to be kind of clear from the outside, and that's, like, why he explicitly started working there, but... Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I, I also like the fact that um, Jason Douglas did, in fact, play Kondo as such an absolute doofus of a man. Um, not, you know, he is a very intelligent man, but he just cannot interact with people for the life of him. Um, he is aloof. He is desperately trying to break the wall to with his co-workers um, being a better boss being a better communicator and it's just these two completely awkward people finding each other and seeing what they need to feel complete in each other and I do really appreciate the fact that the show did not as much as it plays on Akira's romantic feelings toward Kondo, I'm actually really glad that that didn't actually end up panning out in the end of the uh, end of the series, um, where instead they find a mutual respect for one another that hopefully, because you don't quite see it, you only see the beginning seeds of where they are going with the end of the series, in particular with um, Kondo finishing his novel, which ends up being titled After the Rain. 
Which, speaking of rain, um, setting aside the the dub performances for a sec, I really like the symbolism of the rain in the series. Um, where it's severity and just the overall color palette of when it is raining and all of that. Um, it reflects the emotional states of the characters in the frame. And I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Um, and as much as um, Akira is expression, largely expressionless, um, I believe they specifically got a lighting director from Kabaneri into what was it to do her makeup yeah just to, just to make everything look really pastel and watercolor oh uh, yeah but I, yeah i guess sometimes we really can't use our resources for good mm-hmm. like let me be abundantly clear this is an absolutely gorgeous show oh yeah like, oh yeah like we're yeah like we haven't talked about the look of the show much but this show looks really good Oh, yeah. It's gorgeous. Like, it, it... In much the same way that Attack on Titan pushes Wit Studios' action team to its absolute limits, um, with, char- with very narrow-frame character moments, like, that is... You still absolutely get that with this. Um, but I've been I've been droning on for that long enough. Um, the standout scenes I would say for both of these characters, for Akira, I would say it's her date with Ryosuke, where she just absolutely rejects him offhand, and actually, if I recall correctly, completely smacks him away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where she just, and she just absolutely chews him out for it. And I think that is, like, the standout point of Lucy's performance. And then for Kondo, it is in, I believe, I want to say it's episode 9, um, where he is first meeting with Chihiro, and they're, they're debating their lives and career paths and, um... I was actually going to mention it with Chihiro, but I I wanted to wait just so that I could talk about how Joe Daniels and Jason Douglas just absolutely play off of each other so well. Like, that was an absolutely beautiful scene of character interaction, and I, I just... Like, I could go on all day about how great these two performances were. Like, and, and maybe... Maybe I'll have, like, a, a Twitter thread ready for when this episode ends up going live, but, like, it, it's just absolutely wonderful, and I I love both of these performances. Okay, um, so, uh, as for me, I think I will actually start with Kondo, and, um, I don't really know if I have the right words to discuss how much I love this, I love this performance, but... Man, I, I just really love Jason Douglas' Kondo. 
Uh, considering that Kota Seiyu was a Hiroaki Hirata who has pretty much cornered the market on playing middle-aged dorks, like, he was Kotetsu with Diagon Buddy and Mutant Space Brothers, so it's kind of hard to match that perfect that level of middle-aged dork, but Jason both steps up to the plate, and he honestly kind of gives her honest performance run for its money. And right off the bat, uh, Jason's performance just gives us this right level of bubbling dad energy. And it just kind of makes Kondo come off as a total disaster for his age. And whether it's just kind of constantly apologizing to his customers for his screw-ups, or, you know, or just trying to get his employees to respect him, Jason's delivery of Kondo's dorkiness was hilarious, and even after having heard him in... Be- having heard of his beers and super for a couple of years now, I was so pretty surprised that that's how kind of fu- uh, just how funny Jason could be. Uh, but while Kondo is kind of a dork, he's also carried a lot of very deep-seated insecurities into middle age. And while he's not quite suffering through depression in the same way Akira is, his life is definitely in a very similar period of stagnation, which I think is kind of a very big theme with this show. And it's something I can definitely relate to, perhaps a little more than I care to admit. Uh, but anyway, that kind of makes Akira's crush on him all the worse in his mind. Uh, because aside from all the very obvious epo- epical prob- problems with that relationship, uh, simply kind of being around Akira sort of reminds Kondo of all the things he's lost in his life. And Jason definitely nails how weary he feels about his life without getting too melodramatic with it. But at the same time, though, because Akira has a crush on him, she can kind of see all the good parts of him that, J- that Kondo really can't quite see about himself. And while her influence doesn't, you know, dramatically turn his life around, it kind of does give him the opportunity to rethink some of his big regrets. Especially, especially when it comes to all of his work as a writer, since while the show never says it outright, uh, the implication is definitely that when Kondo got into a writer's lab, his obsession over it kind of helped the cause of divorce. Uh, like, I mean, it's ambiguous whether he, like, explicitly took it out on his family, but it's definitely very clear that's why he got divorced. Uh, so hearing Akira tell him that she'd like to read his work someday kind of turns out to be something that Kondo always wanted to hear, and Jason's, and Jason's uh, mix of relief and gratitude in that moment just kind of sold that whole thing perfectly. Uh, but speaking of Akira, a lot of Jason's performance kind of comes down to how he bounces off of Lucy Christian. I really like how well he played both Kondo's awkwardness and kind of badly playing off Akira's advances, while also kind of being like a source of wisdom in her life and kind of helping her deal with her problems, like her pole strained relationship with Haruka, and of course, you know, whether or not she should return to track and field. And for as dorky as Kondo can be a lot of the time, Jason really nails making him sound like a wise dad in those moments. Uh, but for all that, though, I think for me, like, what was hands down one of Jason's best scenes in the show was when Akira kind of comes to visit Kondo in the middle of a typhoon. And a real Jason that while he's not necessarily in love with her, he, de- he definitely does care about her, and he decides to take the risk of getting close to her despite all the doubts he's kind of having about himself. And I think Jason's delivery of, of like, again, the whole rain metaphor, and him saying, I'll let myself get served in the downpour of your rain without an umbrella. I thought that this whole delivery of that lie really got me. And, yeah, it was really fantastic. This was, hands down, the best performance of the dub. And it's both my favorite performance of Jason's now, uh, sorry, Beerus, and uh, probably my current contender for best male performance of the year. It was really awesome, so great work, Jason. And uh, now for Lucy, Chris, and Azakura. I gotta say that even though I didn't have, like, an ideal cast for this in my head because I didn't think there was a number going to get a physical release here, 
If I was casting Cocker at a Sentai Sound Pool, I would have assumed she'd have probably been played by Avery Smithart. And well, I can still kind of see that. I think that Lucy was definitely a really excellent choice. Akira is definitely a lot quieter than some of the other characters Lucy is best known for, but Lucy gets a pretty good handle on Akira's personality and makes her sound kind of tired and reserved, but, more, but, a, but in a more tired teenagers are bad at expressing their feelings kind of way than in anything that's kind of supposed to be moe. And uh, speaking, of being, speaking of being bad at expressing her feelings, a lot of Akira's early interactions with Kondo kind of come off that way. Since while we know she has a pretty big cross on him from Kodo's perspective, she just kind of seems like a prickly teenager. And Lucy definitely plays up all that attitude pretty well. And even when Akira finally does confess her feelings to Kondo and goes from being prickly to maybe a little bit too blunt for her own good. Uh, there's definitely a lot of ways in which Akira's cross on Kondo could have easily made this show skeevy. But I think the reason why it works so well is that we see Akira's feelings almost entirely from her perspective a lot of the time. And the show is very careful in making it clear that while her perspective is sincere, it's so just mostly kind of along the lines of a dumb teen crush. And I definitely like how well the show kind of balances things out in that area. And it definitely helps that a lot of Akira's cross on Kondo is kind of also afraid and is also just very clearly afraid as her using it as a way to escape a lot of her current life problems. And I think the whole thing is just pretty well nuanced. Uh, I mean, if I was being honest, I think a lot of the best adequate Akira's characters that didn't even necessarily belong to Lucy's performance. I think a lot of it actually kind of comes down to a lot of the character animations he gets. Uh, because it, uh, because the animators in the show just really get a lot, just get across a lot of Akira's emotions really well with just a few movements. Uh, like, uh, you know, like when Akira's on her date with Kase, and she gets a call from Kondo, and in a way you just kind of see her bouncing up and down, and just kind of gets a really good idea of what Akira's feeling in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it's just a whole bunch of like really good character moments in the show, and I really like the way it's animated. Uh, but uh, but as far as Lucy's performance goes, I think she handled a lot of those moments just as well, whether it's Akira badly trying to convince Kondo to take her across seriously, or her refusing to work more hours at the restaurant so she can continue running away from her problems and her fear of being able to run again. And again, I just also really dig the way she kind of bounces off of Jason Douglas' Kondo. And all that whole weird dynamic just kind of mostly centers in the two of them becoming good friends. And for as much as Kondo can be a good source of advice to Akira, her youthful perspective is also kind of helpful to Kondo with a lot of his problems. And for as troubled as Akira is a lot of the time, I think that Lucy does a good job of making Akira just kind of come off as a normal, awkward teen in those moments. Uh, like during that whole Rossimo scene and her perspective of how she wants a sequel, and I thought uh, that whole thing felt very youthful, and I thought Lucy's, performance, Lucy's delivery there was really good. Uh, but like I said in the YouTube section, I liked that a lot of Kondo's advice as it magically fixed all of Akira's hangups, and that getting pushes from other people like Haruka and Yuto kind of help her out as much as he does. And I think he had to make the show a little stronger. Uh, it's got a little long way day, but I thought that Lucy did a really great job. And while Jason's Kondo is probably the stronger of these two performances, he comes in a pretty solid second. And she's also someone I'm probably going to be keeping an eye on towards the end of the year. And with that, I think we're actually moved to move on to Final Thoughts. Boy, this episode was actually a lot shorter than I was expecting. <laughs> I was say, man, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm surprised this isn't two fucking hours. I could make it two hours by talking about the intricacies of the same Nijima and Ren ship, but no, I will I will save you that. Um, <laughs> no, so, 
this is a series that I had a lot of apprehension going into just because of the subject matter. Thankfully, the show never went the skeeve route, as we mentioned earlier, and that the dub for this is really good. Uh, Beyond the Boundary has always been, like, one of my favorite Sentai dubs. Oh Maidens is up there. Um, Surene has kind of grown on me with time. But this is by far, I think, one of my favorite John Swayze dubs. Like, he absolutely nailed it. I am super excited to, uh, to to definitely recommend this dub to anybody. Like, I honestly think that this is worth you blind buying if you are into good slice-of-life kind of romancy stuff that goes beyond what the genre can usually be. Um, it's not... It's not like it, it's not like something like Vinland Saga where I I'm actually going to start watching that like one episode a day where you're like okay why wasn't this dub faster I'm just happy it did because it came out so well this is definitely something I can recommend to people who are into more of that stuff who like cute comfy kind of romances like I actually do describe the show as kind of comfy it's dramatic but I I had such an easy time watching this like I breezed through this dub. And it had a lot of really great performances, a lot of really nuanced ones. Definitely going to be high up on my list towards the end of the year uh, for the W Awards. Definitely worth picking up from uh, Sentai or wherever you buy anime from. It sucks that this isn't streaming on High Dive, but fuck you, Amazon. Mm. Uh, Fuck you, Jeff Bezos. I'm going to beat your ass in challenge pissing. (laughs) (laughs) i'm good that that's my final thoughts great series great dub definitely especially for jason lucy and elizabeth's performances like those three alone are worth the check out for this okay uh, roots uh um first and foremost this stub is very, very strong. Um, how strong, you might ask? I would actually consider this... Um, I don't know if it would be at the very top of the list, but this is definitely one of the strongest Houston area dubs I have heard in, a, in at least a long time. Uh it, it's great, it's subtle, it's nuanced. Um, like Megan said, the show itself is actually kind of oddly comfy. But um, this is just an absolutely beautiful show. And John Swayze, Marta Bechtel, and the actors involved gave it this absolute level of respect. And treated this... With the um, with the subject, they 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 treated this with the kind of respect that something of this kind of subject material would absolutely necessitate. Um, it is a very strong dubby contender. Uh, now, here's the big twenty thousand dollar question here, though. Uh, this. This dub is basically Blu-ray only. Um, I have no idea if it will ever end up on High Dive. I don't know if it will ever end up on Amazon. 
So, the big question is, considering that Sentai Blu-rays are often somewhat discounted, and during their, during their sales they are very discounted, um, is this worth actually paying more than a subscription to obtain? And I... You know, like Cabaneri, I can actually say with absolute certainty, yes. Uh, this stuff is absolutely worth your time. It is worth the financial investment if, you know, you have the funds to put into this. Um, it is just an absolutely gorgeous stub for an absolutely gorgeous show. Okay, uh, as for me... Uh, this was a show I was kind of curious about when it was first coming out because I knew the manga had, like, some prestige. I th I think it was nominated for a Tusker Award, but I can't remember. It was either that or, like, the Sigoi Manga Award. I can't remember which one. Uh, uh, but anyway, I knew it was, uh, like, a pretty prestige thing, so I was kind of curious about it. And in spite of the potentially messy premise, it turned out to be a really strong show. It takes what could have easily been a very skeevy age gap romance and instead kind of talks about stagnation and how sometimes it just kind of need a little push from other people in order to just kind of get through a lot of those rough patches of life. It's a really strong story and it's why this is still probably one of my favorite shows from the 2010s. And I'm glad that it got a really strong dub because I kind of wasn't expecting it to get dubbed at all. And between the supporting cast and Jason and Lucy's performances as Kondo and Akira... Everyone here sounded really solid, and if you want to check out the series in general, I'd highly recommend giving the dub a shot because it just really nails the show's atmosphere. Now, if you want to watch After the Raid, as we've uh, kind of already said, your options right now are kind of limited. If you want to check out the dub, your only choice right now is to buy the Blu-ray release. Again, it's possible it'll stream on high dive eventually, but as of this recording, it's not, and there's no telling how long that'll take. And if you want to stream the show in general, on the other hand, your only choice right now is to uh, is to pay to our overlord Jeff Bezos for an Amazon Prime subscription. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm one of the sorry suckers who did that while the original Zombocast was running. But, uh, <laughs> I have Amazon Prime because my dad needs it, but I'm still going to beat you in challenge pissing. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely just a witch you consider to be the lesser of two evils kind of a deal. Okay, but okay, but seriously, if you can pop down for the blu release, it's not that expensive, and it's probably worth the and it's definitely worth the price. So, yeah. Um, and uh, with that, we're and uh, with that, we're basically good. So we talked about where you can find the show, uh, but if you want to uh, hear more from us, we are the Dub Talk Podcast. You can find us on YouTube on Podbean. As a, uh, these social media is like Twitter, uh, Tumblr is dead, uh, Instagram, and is there anything else? Uh, no, uh, our Kofi and our Patreon? Yep, of course. Uh, so, so, uh, so if you would like to donate to anything we do, we have a, uh, we have a Kofi, uh, where you can do a one-time donation to us, or, to, or we have a Patreon, and uh, before we finish tonight, I uh, just have to give a shout out to some of our patrons. Okay, let me pull the list back up. Uh, I'm to give a shout out to our five peer patrons: B. Morris, Michelle Travis, 
Morocco and Score Zone, and Nico Robin, but with Yowie hands. And our $10 patrons, Anthony Simpson, Carly Wessicow, Crimson Akinda, Jacob Wilson, J2, a.k.a. Jared, Julia W., and Marissa Valente. Thank you, guys. You're really awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And so, uh, is there anything you two would like to plug? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at QueenRear2. I shitpost and talk about Andrew's <laughs> and yell at Andrew about his illegally cute dog while posting pictures of my illegally cute kind of fat cat Shinya. And love on my boyfriend. You're... Oh shit, there's a um... gecko outside my window! <laughs> oh, that's actually kind of <laughs> badass. Uh, so you can find me, Roots of Justice, on the Twitter.com, at Roots of Justice. Uh, mainly retweet cute animal pics, um, sometimes talk general fandom stuff. It's a good time. You should come pay me a visit. Um, I'm also working on reviews, and I will find a place to post them. Um, when I know what I'm doing with them, you'll know. Okay, and as for me, you can find me on Twitter at DivineDaga, where I will um, usually just be talking about anime or cartoons or, like, news or whatever. Uh, you can also find me on my blog at Everson Infinity, where I will sometimes write things on occasion if I feel like it. Uh, and uh, you can also find me on, on another podcast, Podcast ONA, alongside fellow dub talk host Andrew, where we'll usually be talking about anime news. And, uh, yeah, that's basically it for me. So, with that, uh, we're basically done here. Uh, thanks again for joining me. Oh, you're welcome, Jet. This was great. Yeah, I... I was probably gonna get after the rain anyway, but I'm I'm glad that we all decided to sit down and actually talk about the show. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm really glad. This uh, turned out to be really good. Again, like, only awesome job, guys. Yeah, it's a shame Andrew couldn't make it. What would ever happen to him? I think he's the one who got lost in the rain today. <laughs> <laughs> you sure? Are you sure we didn't leave him, like, somewhere? Does he think the bus is going to go through there? Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. We left him in Isekai Hell, didn't we? Oh, fuck. Uh, we got to go back and get him. Uh, you know what? I'll I'll call him an Uber at some point. It'll be fine. He knows how to survive uh, there. Uh, I guess I'll go pick him up. So, uh, with that, Jet, no, I you don't need to do that. He's got an Uber, and he's got at least one more juice box. He can survive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, with that, we're basically done here. Uh, until next time, we'll talk about my friends, and good night. I'm not